Welcome back, streamers, to another episode of Indignation and Self-Discovery. We have a we have a slight change in the schedule today. It's a lot, it's a lot to happen on a fucking Thursday. <laughs> look, I, I well, I mean, look, it's pretty much every day, right? Where I get angry at some perceived injustice <laughs> that is not an unreal injustice, and then I learn something new about myself. I don't think that this should be limited to, you know, only happening in the outside world and not in the world of, of films and movies. Sure. I just like to have it on a nice, tight schedule. I'd like to have my indignation maybe on a Friday morning. That way I can, like, just kind of roll into the weekend with, you know, getting it out of my system. But um, when does the self-loathing kick in? What date is that? That is a—well, see, I like to—like, I just figure 10% of my time is just—I is, block it away for self-loathing. <laughs> Some people meditate. I do the same thing, but it's mostly where I'm just like, oh, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm impressed that it's only 10% of the time, to well, be honest. I've, I've, I've had to pare it down. Otherwise, I just feel like it takes up too much of my time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enough of I'm, our like, self-hatred. In. <laughs> I do laundry and self-love. <laughs> That's why my clothes are so fucking fresh. Like, right. <laughs> and, then, and then you fold laundry and question the, the, the existence of them. All right. So we have a slight uh, change in schedule today. Look, look, look. We couldn't do it, okay? We yeah. couldn't. No. Well, we could. I mean, look, I watched all, <coughs> excuse me. I watched all three of the films. All three of DWG stoner comedies. Yes, I did. Um... And I, I don't want to talk about them from two. We'll talk about them, but I do not want to talk about them for two hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just because. I, I think we, we will use them as reference points to talk about Joe and Prince Avalanche, his two follow-ups after those three stoner con- comedies. I watched two out of the three. I was not going to watch the third. So I watched The Sitter and I watched Pineapple Express. I was not going to watch Your <laughs> Highness after after those. And I mean, if I'm honest, I watched in a very kind of haphazard skipping fashion um, because I just <laughs> just not for you. Eh? I just it was not for me. Also, I there's not a lot of good things I can say about those films. Well, I'll go to bat so, for I'll go to bat for Pineapple Express. I don't I don't think that's a bad movie. I, I think it's. It's, um, I think there's genuinely good moments in that. And I do think that, uh, the, that movie exemplifies how to use Danny McBride as a star or as a, you know, a headlining, you know, top of the poster name pretty well. Sure. You keep him at, you know, and and whereas if you go to your highness, then you completely lose, you know, you, you've lost it because you've given him too much, (laughs) too much rope to hang himself. In your in in Pineapple Express, he's the perfect amount of annoying, and and I don't know, it really it, he can do it well. In, <laughs> he can do it well in like the foot fist way and uh, mm-hmm. eastbound and down. I think when I think Jody Hill Hill knows how to handle that level of cringe comedy. Not that that's a good term for it, but um, that uncomfortable level of comedy uh, with these kind of like s- significant anti heroes that that he has in his. Um, you know, in, in his films and his shows, he does that better than I don't. Th- I think really anybody does. Um, and Danny McBride plays a kind of lovable, affable asshole in Pineapple Express. Yeah. Um, but I do think that 
I mean, look, I don't consider watching all three of them, and I know we're just jumping into this, but I don't consider Pineapple Express a David Gordon Green film. You, you said you felt like it was more kind of appetizing. Yeah, this this is definitely <clears throat> this is the uh, the kind of the upswing of the Apatow comedies where everything. Is now there's there's comedies that he is producing, but he can't you know he can't direct everything, um. But it but it has a genuine. But I do think also having like someone like Rogan on set, who's a, a comedic writer, um, and having a better cast of characters. Although Your Highness had a decent cast, mm-hmm. I'm not sure really what went wrong with that one, um. But there's genuine moments where Rogan and uh, Franco interact with one another. It, it truly sticks to the stoner comedy formula, whereas Your Highness is called Your Highness, they don't really get high. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily, it's a weird nitpick for a movie, but if you're pitching yourself as a stoner comedy coming off of Pineapple Express, I'm not sure why you're not really kind of diving into that genre of film where you just kind of like make this a thing and, mm-hmm. and like and make it a a at the very least, a cornerstone of a couple of your characters, the, the McBride character and his, um, you know, manservant, his, you know, um, but really it's only in passing. And it, there's one sequence with the CGI worm that they, you know, that they get high with. And it's, but it's, but it's so like, <laughs> like there's, no, there's, I don't know, this movie, your highness didn't know really what it wanted to be. And so once you go back to and you pull the Apatow piece out of it, you pull Rogan out of it and you give Gordon Green and McBride kind of full reign. And they notoriously said that there was really no script that they were just kind of I mean, there was an outline of a movie mm-hmm. and then they were going off. It's so you're not he doesn't have the sensibilities to pull that off. And then when you get to the sitter, which is should have been a slam dunk, it should have been like you can't you can take adventures in babysitting and make that a dirtier film i know you you know you gender bend it a little bit fine whatever but you take a genuinely fun teen movie and you want to then make it raunchy and but again i don't i don't think every everything that they do in that movie and it's an hour and 20 minutes every none of it is earned every scene seems like it's a next sketch out of saturday night live out of a next commercial like all of it comes out of left field. It's so, I mean, it's, it's so bizarre how you can mess up adventures <laughs> and babysitting that badly. And, and it's also the worst tendencies of, of, uh, um, what's his face? Um, Jonah Hill. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's moments, there were giggle moments, there were giggle lines in the sitter for me, but, there, but overall I was just sitting there going, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this is the worst. I, I mean, it really is like, and I, I think, reading reviews and reading like um just kind of articles that were written about your highness and the sitter and i think there were a lot of like david gordon green apologists out there wanting those movies to be good knowing where he came from which was a career of art house films that were not financially successful and but then, were critically appreciated but critically acclaimed and then watching him go into mainstream bigger budget although studio work right yeah. your highness was 50 the sitter was 25 i have no idea what pine i would guess pineapple express was significantly more expensive just because of the explosion because of the ca- and the cast and the cast right um so a kind of a diminishing amount of returns there it just seems like well this is a guy who's got talent and got vision but he can't make this work film over film so it's a weird like level of uh you know Art house acclaim, but financial, <laughs> no financial success, 
So a shift to studio comedies with a significant diminishing level of returns on money and critical acclaim. And then he goes directly back into directing Joe and Pineapple, uh, <laughs> Prince, Prince Avalanche. Avalanche. And apparently he has said that, you know, this is not an either or for him, that he's interested kind of in both worlds, right? This art housey Malick type films and then these bigger kind of budget studio comedies, what have you. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, there's yeah. been plenty of directors yeah. who've done that. I mean, but I do think that Pineapple Express was a paycheck for him. I'm sure they offered him, you know, seven, a decent seven figure salary to come in and direct Pineapple Express where he wasn't getting, that was his entire budget on these other movies that he was making. Um, so I understand why he took it. I don't, it's, it's a, I, and I guess it's one of those things where you have success at Pineapple Express that the studios are like, okay, you can, you want to do another, you want to pitch another stoner comedy, go right ahead. Here's 50 million, <laughs> go out and do it. And then, and, and, and you hear backstories again of like studio interference and things like that. But I can't imagine like looking at how, uh, how your highness comes across and how your highness is the, the finished product. I mean, I can't imagine that that turns out any better at any particular point in time. I mean, what, what you were allowed to do, you know, uh, wearing a centaur's dick around your neck, uh, you know, basically sidelining your two female characters who, I mean, Portman basically said she made this movie because she was going to finance Black Swan herself. And that then financing came through for Black Swan. And so she would, but she was already stuck in this movie. And she's really only in the, the last half of it. Um, I mean, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. It, it's, she comes off the least offensive. What I really, you know, I feel bad for Justin Thoreau. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for Zoe Deschanel. Mm -hmm. Although Zoe Deschanel has a lot of things that, she, I mean, I'm sure, you know, she's not great in all, all the time. But in this one, it's really, like, there's just moments I could see where they were, they was close, but it never got there. And then, like, Franco clearly did not want to be in this movie. And so really, then it's just a McBride vehicle and if you don't have anybody playing off McBride, if you don't, if you, right? If you don't have, work. if you don't have a straight playing off of McBride, and you just let McBride be, yeah, it doesn't work. You've got to show the everyone else around McBride has got to understand the lunacy of McBride for that to work. Somebody and that's has Jody to Hills, be Dean Martin, <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Look. Yes. So, so, so we we touched on the stoner comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Later, we will we will look more closely at Joe and Prince Avalanche, right? This kind of return to, quote-unquote, return to form. Um, and I think, you know, we'll talk about maybe how he got to these or try to figure out how he got back to these. Anyway, but before that, you went to the Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff Film Festival. It's hard to say. I'm do you want to, <laughs> do you want to tell <laughs> listeners a little bit about, uh, I don't know, your highlights? Or? Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a, so if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I, I highly recommend our local, our really our kind of our version of Fantastic Fest. It's not as big as something like that. It's not going to be two weeks long. Obviously, we're not in Austin. Um, right. But it is our version of that, and, 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 and I guess kind of mixed in with our version of Sundance. So it's a very small, concatenated version of that. But you're getting quirky films. You're getting A24 and prestige dramas that came out of Sundance coming through here. And that's a big deal for us because we don't normally get that. And obviously, it's all at the Texas Theater in Oak Cliff, the Bishop's Arts Theater Center. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful time. It's, it happens in, in June of every year. Um, so this year, I didn't see as many movies as I wanted to see, but I did see nine of the three days that I was there. I saw... Uh, Quantum Cowboys and Problemista, which was my Friday. I saw um, 
shit, I'm gonna forget them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I saw the adults, um, and I saw uh, um, Maximali in in the future, um, and I saw Earth Mama and a movie called Deadland, uh, um, um, an, another documentary by Penny Lane who did Hail Satan a few years back about her doing an altruistic donation of uh, of her kidney, which was an interesting documentary. And uh, then I saw um, a really kind of terrible Disney Channel type movie called Aliens Abducted My Parents and I Felt Left Out. And so I was just, let me just talk about the highlights. I don't want to go mm -hmm. about all the films, but like um, I will say that of the three A24 films that I saw, which I think of the adults is an A24 film. If it's not, it, it, it's I think it's got distribution it's coming out soon. So. Um, but I will say that Problemista um, was, of, of the movies that were like, that are going to get released soon, th that was my favorite. I think Problemista was like the most polished. And this is obviously, this was an A24 film. Um, it's I a Julio Torres film, yeah, right? Julio yeah. Torres. With uh, uh, Tilda Swinton? Yes, and Tilda Swinton. Um, and so Julio Torres uh, plays this uh, immigrant in the U.S. and he's trying to keep uh, his immigrant status and it's a green card and he needs a job and he's pitching all of these toy ideas to Hasbro. He's trying to get into a Hasbro like think tank program and um, is unable to do so. He loses his job. Uh, <laughs> so he, in the interim, he works for this cryogenically uh, uh, cryogenics program or for company. That's keeping RZA uh, frozen basically <laughs> and Tilda Swinton and, and RZA is this painter or was this painter who painted eggs. He painted just eggs in different um, <laughs> different environments and different settings. And Tilda Swinton was an art critic who fell in love with him. Um, and then so once he had some sort of, um, you know, he had some sort of disease, I forget exactly what it was. They, you know, she's paying for him to be cryogenically frozen. Um, because he's, um, you know, uh, Torres is working there. He comes in contact with Tilda Swinton. Um, he inadvertently gets fired because a you know, plug gets pulled out accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but Tilda Swinton befriends him and then she, uh, they, they, um, go on a quest to recover all of Riz's paintings so they can put together an art show. Um, it's just this really kind of like fantastical, um, you know, being John Malkovich kind of like, uh, just fantasy world that, that Torres lives in his, his mom raised him in this kind of like cocoon of you know just love and obviously but also kind of protectiveness and that she was worried that it wouldn't serve him well um as he got out into the real world so now but he still so he still lives in that so you see moments where he's envisioning certain things that are happening in his life that really aren't really happening but he's and and, and there's so there's a whole lot of uh visual flair to it tilda swinton is amazing um and it's just just a really fun kind of uplifting like it's I, I don't know. It's it, it it's of all of the the visual flair. It never feels overwhelming, I and mean, it's it's never oppressive. It is just a really good feel good film that I think I think what's going to do. I think this is if I had to guess, and this is a silly thing to say, but if if you were looking for a this year's everything, everything everywhere all at once, this this feels like what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it it seems. I mean, just from the trailer, I haven't seen it. Obviously, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in town to go. Um, and bother you <laughs> but it does seem like it really embraces a kind of magical realism right a kind of um really stylistically i don't want to say experimental but i think you know flashy um playful right kind of vibe 
Yeah, okay. yeah. It's not, it's never, like I said, it's never um, overbearing. Like where something like Boa's Afraid where oh. it's <clears throat> so in your face. And I, but, you know, we both love Boa's Afraid. We know we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but. Because that um, takes time. <laughs> right. I don't think we're, we're still not mentally I have no prepared. idea how to prepare for that, <laughs> to talk about that film. It all feels um, real world-ish. It, 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 you just, you kind of just immediately understand. He is the, the embodiment that Torres does in the film. He like walks with very short, like, um, you know, basically just like a little kid. And the entirety like of the movie. Steps, right? right. He does the very little quick stutter steps. He's always wearing a backpack. You know, he's, he's always kind of put upon and kind of diminishing himself and playing himself smaller. So, yeah, there's a lot of that there. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that when it when it comes out. Um, yeah. Well, um, what else was the highlight? So the adults, which is a Michael Sarah, Sophia Lillis, um, Catherine Gross, I think is the other actress's I name. Think you're right. um, and it's really this kind of unassuming. This is not one that I think is going to hit big, but I think it will hit well with the. I mean, and again, I don't think they'll be up for any or any awards or anything like that because it's just not that big of a high profile film. But it'll get good kind of critical reception. Yeah, I think so. Because the three leads are so good. It is about uh, Michael Sarah comes back to, I believe it's Portland, to visit his sisters um, because one of his best friends just had a baby. So he's he's coming back to to visit them. But really, he's apparently a gambling addict and he likes to play poker. And, and so he's always looking for a poker game. And so he goes to um, he, he goes to Portland to visit his sisters. He does a very uh, abbreviated um visit with them but basically the underlying message well the underlying message the underlying theme is that they've all been dealing with their parents death so basically this is kind of the adults is these basically these three kids that have been thrown into adulthood um and of course they are adults at this point but, right and so they're all kind of dealing with things and they're all kind of dealing with their relationship with one another and they have this great like um rapport when they fall back into it with one another they use fake voices and they do dances together and they kind of act things out it's it's a story with not really the whole hell of a lot of plot. I mean, you think that the um, you know, the, maybe the the gambling angle is going to play out, like, it's, but it's really not about that. It's just more about uh, it's really more of a, a you know plot device to get Sarah to extend his trip because he goes and plays a game. He um, you know he loses one night off of a bad beat and then gets kind of frustrated and plays and then then he gets invited to another game. So. That's kind of the ongoing theme of that. But really, it's just a really amazing story about these three siblings who have never really dealt with their parents' death and them trying to kind of reconnect and in, in, in a way, of, you know, just in, just emotionally. Um, Sarah, like, is this is one of the roles. It, it's it's comedic, but it is not. But it also it's kind of like a dramedy kind of role, mm -hmm. obviously. So mm -hmm. it's good to see Sarah kind of evolve from that super bad teen persona of like, and also Arrested Development and well, Juno and. Well, the 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 reboot Arrested Development, I I really wanted to, and look, I don't I don't condone violence usually, <laughs> but I did kind of want to just punch him in the face because he played it with such a wink the entire time. Right. Where before, you know, before that hiatus and before the coming back, his. His character, he played that straight. I mean, it, it was funny, but he, like, took it seriously. And then it was like he came back after those many years, and he was just like, look at what I'm doing. Wink, wink, look at them. In the same <laughs> I did, I, I'm never quite sure how to feel about him in Twin Peaks The Return either. <laughs> because right. I, think he's, I think he's asked to do something so specific and so out there and just fucking weird that, you know, 
But other than that, I there's not a whole lot that I've um, really liked him in. What was the movie he was in with the young comedian? Oh, I can't remember her name. Paper Heart was it? Oh was it yes, Paper Heart? yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And if you hadn't asked me, I, Julie. That's that's on Julie. It's, um, and she's like an artist. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a that's a really fun movie. Yeah, though. I really like that. Right, that, I mean, yeah, faux documentary thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I liked him in that. I can't believe I can't remember her name. That Whatever. really sucks. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad. This is what happens. Yeah, um, it's not. It's but, not out of lack of respect. It's not over no, <laughs> lack of respect no, for the just, actress. I, a, look, I have been forgetting more and more stuff, and and I know that again. I'm not as old as you are, but I I was always. I'm just curious of how you remember things, being as I know. I do it. Um, you've seen the movie Memento, right? Yeah. I just, yeah. I just, just, just tattoo <laughs> myself. <laughs> Polaroids and tattoos. You know, and I should have, when I was working on, like, the sleeve, I should have done that. I should have thought, okay, like, here's how you remember all the, all the sort of, like, inane stuff you have to keep in your head. Like, actors and actresses and who directed what. What the fuck, man? <laughs> Um, okay, any anything, any then, other highlights you want to hit on? Yeah, on, and then I'll say yeah. Earth Mama, which will come out as an A24 film, is harrowing. It's 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 a difficult watch. It is a, like I described it to you before, kind of a joyless Sean Baker film um, about— um, You say that like Sean Baker's films are full of joy. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, even, even more joyless Sean Baker's film. <laughs> But a really, um, you know, a, a good representation of a young mother who is um, has two children that are in protective, not protective care, but are in foster care. And she's pre- she's pregnant with another and she's trying to navigate working and getting her kids back and deciding what to do with, with this new baby. Uh, she goes through a journey of um, finding an adoptive family to, to take the to take the new baby and then there's all of the guilt and the um, societal backlash that is coming at her for that as well. And so it's a really interesting meditative um, film. And it's, it's it, it, you know, it shines a light on, especially nowadays when we're talking about removing women's rights and reproductive rights. And, and, all, it, and, it, and it's not a political film. It really is. It's more just a matter of this is a slice you know, of life. You know that that we um, that people are facing. So um, yeah, it's really good. It it um, it gets. <laughs> it still is an A twenty four film. So there's a little. There's a couple of moments of of weirdness. There's a couple of moments of like um, inner thought that get played out. Uh, you know, on the on the movie. And I don't want. And I don't want to ruin anything for anybody that hasn't seen it. But it's it's really good. It's one to look out for. And the last one that I would want to talk about yeah. um, is Molly and Max meet in the future. Uh, which is this basic, it's got, um, I don't know if you watch Saturday Night Live, but there was a, um, a featured player for one season called Aristotle Anthari. Oh yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's the main character. And then, um, the Mamet daughter, um, uh, the, who was on girls, uh, I forget her first name, but it's, it's like Soshana or I, I can't remember who, but she's the, the, the person who was on girls. She was, and she's really great too. It's, but it is basically a a when harry met sally i wouldn't call it a remake but it is a very much you know in the mm. same vein as when harry met sally it uses the same like timeline beats of like when they they meet but they're all in the future set in a really you know um it's all set in space it's just but it's a two-hander for the most part and they're they're so good together um and it's it is a play on our times and it's um you know <laughs> what was all going on and the guy who who made it, he put it together. He he made it. It was all uh, practical effects. He did it with miniatures and green screen. 
it's really, really fun, really, really uh, inventive. And I don't know if it has distribution yet, but if it does, yeah, keep an eye out for Molly and Max in the future. All right. Excellent. And if you're ever in the DFW area, stop by and say hi, but also try to schedule your trip around the Oak Cliff Film Festival. <laughs> in the summer. Come to Dallas in the summer. Jesus, man. Like, I, so the Texas, <laughs> the, the Texas keeps their theater cold. Like, Kat uh, on, on Friday was wearing a sweater. I'm like, like legit cold. And then so you would go from legit cold and to go outside after the screenings were over into 110 degree heat. And it's just like, I'm giving myself the flu, basically, right. every time I go. Right. And that 110 is not an exaggeration. No. That was not hyperbole. It, was, it really was 110. It's 104 today. I had, a, I had a, an hour and change on Sunday, and I mistakenly walked down to the Bishop Arts, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, like they're, they're, they had an outdoor, you know, fair fest. Not a fair, but, you know, just a marketplace. And... Um, that was it. Would I? I found some good things, but I. But I. And then I, you were drenched. <laughs> but coming back, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Right. Right. No, it's it's terrible. And there's Oak. no like, there's no trees. There's no shade down in Oak Cliff. It's all just, it's all concrete. Despite the, the despite see. the name, right. there's not really a cliff, and there are no oaks. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we jump into um, Joe and Prince Avalanche, do you want to spend a little bit of time talking about past lives? Absolutely. Okay. Not ours, but the movie past. No, lives. I, I try not to think about anything in my past because I will start crying. <laughs> I have enough intrusive thoughts as it. Is. 10, 10%. I mean, that's look, this one time when I was <laughs> nine years old, I said this, and I, I, I can't let go of this thing I said to this other person. There's a word in Korean, inyon. It means providence or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. good story this is childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other in the story i would be the evil white american husband standing in the way of destiny shut up he was just this kid in my head for such a long time i think i just missed him did he miss you Thirteen hours to be here. I'm not gonna tell you that you can't see him or something. If two strangers walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, that means there have been 8,000 layers of inyan. 
between them. Want you to stay. Okay, so the story. Speaking of, right, here's the here's a brief storyline. Nora and Haisung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are rest apart after Nora's family immigrates from South Korea. Twenty years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. Right, that's your long line. That's your elevator pitch. Look, can we start with the opening shot mm-hmm. of this film? And what that kind of lets us start to think about or even like the questions um, that we start to ask. And it's kind of like a prologue, really, right? Because this film is is broken up into really three acts. I right. mean, I mean, it's very clear, these <laughs> three acts, right? And they're all separated by 12 years. So they're 12-year-olds in Seoul, and then they reconnect when they're about 24-ish. Mm-hmm. And then they reconnect in person again when they're 36, right? So what did you think of that opening shot? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that it was gonna. I didn't know it was gonna open that way, and I was. Yeah, remind me again, because it's just sorry. I'm. I've seen like ten films since. Right, then. right, right. No, no, I understand. You're a busy person. You saw it twice, ass. So like... I saw it twice in four days. That's a spoiler. That's how much I love this movie. So the 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 film opens on our three main characters. Oh yes, okay, thank you. Okay, that's all I needed. Oh, okay, that's okay. all I needed. I'm, right. I'm there. I'm take, there. I'm there. Take it away, Wiseman. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you're basically getting, um, so the opening shot is the three of them in a bar and, um, and the third one being her husband. Sorry, right, right. Yes, yeah. yes. So yes, it's, it's Haesung, uh, Nora and her husband's name is Arthur. Arthur. Yes. So it's the three of them and it's, we're watching them across a bar and, um, you hear background chatter that's trying to figure out their story, just like we all do, right? Mm-hmm. And we're looking mm-hmm. at them. And their base and like the background chatter is well, maybe he's their maybe their brother maybe, maybe their brother and sister and they're with their husband or maybe and and so it's or he's and, a tour guide right yeah. right and so the whole thing is like well we can, this is the hardest thing to figure out we cannot place where these people are in their and what lives. they mean to each other right yeah it's it is it was a it's interesting because I never really thought the movie itself was ever going to betray Nora and Arthur, right? Right. So I never got that idea that this is going to be something that we're going to try to, this movie's not going to try to pull the rug out from under you in that way where, um, so I kind of figured this is, I kind of figured where the movie would end. The heartbreak and the, and the, and the emotion was really what this, what the journey is in this movie, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, I figured we'd start in, in 12 year old, um, Korea. Right. I mean, and so, and having these kids, so it's a really interesting way to frame the film and how, you know, how we should address these people coming into it. I thought, yeah, it's, it was really, really interesting. Yeah, Cause I mean, it sets up this idea. I mean, quite literally of what do they mean to each other? And then we, I mean, that sticks in our head kind of, as we watch these three different time frames. And I, and I think that that is the film is about that. What do they mean to each other? And kind of as they say at the end, what will we mean to each other in the next life or in a past life? I mean, going back right. to the title. But I thought that was a really interesting way yeah, to, to frame this film, and especially because that, that happens in that prologue and it never comes back, which, right. is, which is great, right. right? Which is great. And so like, and, and, and Celine's song, the director, is, is a playwright. And this is a very kind of, stagey like film yeah. right yeah. but i think in a good way oh for sure right? I, yeah i don't i don't 
when done well, I don't ever think that's a that's a negative aspect right. to a movie. To right. be fair, right? And I, I, I mean, I loved how she kind of blocked or set these scenes a lot of times when, when as children they say goodbye, you see them taking mm-hmm. actual separate paths. And I mean, I think in the wrong hands that could be gimmicky, but I didn't feel like it was there. I felt like every move like that was the right move and was a kind of earned move. Well, and it seemed like it was mirroring the thoughts of both of these characters, right? Because because Nora, who's not Nora when she's in Korea, and she they, there's a whole segment of them choosing their American names, which is really funny. <laughs> she wanted to steal her sister's <laughs> right? <laughs> but it does feel like that. I mean, like, I, I will say, I mean, just kind of just to lay it out, but this coming from a first-time director... This is an amazing, like this, I felt like this after I watched After Sun. So, okay, so I, I had the same, I had the same thought, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, so it, it just the idea of like how grounded and how patient and, and how self-assured this movie is in all of its strokes. And so, but that, this idea of like, there's a lot of, um, you know the girls are excited about going to. I mean, yeah, they're going. They're they're disappointed. They're going to be losing their friends. But Hey Sung feels like the one who's being left behind, right? And also, their their relationship as children has been one of his support for her. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a mousish girl. She's kind of an emotional girl, and he's and they're kind of like similar in in class rank and in, you know supposed intelligence and things like that. So they've kind of like been forced together throughout their childhood. But he's kind of been the strong, um, you know, the, the kind of strong arm for her. And always playing the on. background, too, right? right the right. background yeah, support, been, the kind of... Yeah. yeah, he's always been number two to her. And so when she leaves to go off to America and, and, and to... Oh, actually, they're going to Canada. Um, she, you know, looks like she has all the whole entire world ahead of her. Or Hey Sung is now being left behind as, a, as kind of an afterthought to all of this. So, yeah, when they split up and she takes literally the high road back up to... Right. Her home and hey and and hey sung you know walks back you know down his road. It really I mean obviously it's it's I mean I know what she was trying to convey. And it, yeah, it, you, it it could have been a little on the nose, but I think the way that it's shot and the way that it's almost even lit, yeah, like where his side is darker than hers. It's 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 I, I thought it was really effective. Yeah, and it's not that he's going down; it's a flat right. path, kind of continuing on, right. right? The same thing. But I mean, I think the fact that they stop there and they, you know he says like hey. And there's this pause and you're waiting for something big and he just says, bye. She (laughs) says, bye. And like, that's it. And so I think that kind of evens that out maybe, right? There isn't this grand speech and I'll miss you and I'll always look for you or whatever, right? Right, it plays true to 12-year-olds, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Also, some of those other scenes when when they finally connect in person, because so they they reconnect when they're in their mid-20s. Nora's in graduate school. Um, probably doing an MFA, right, in, in, in playwriting. Um, Haizong is, is in graduate school for engineering, I'm, I'm assuming, graduate school. And they connect back over Skype, right, which, again, I think this is supposed to be kind of in, what, like 2010-ish, 2011, yeah. I guess, based yeah. on, like, time. And so that felt, like, very real, too. But they have this connection that isn't a physical one. I mean, it's just through the screen. When we finally see them together in their 30s and they're walking around New York, did you catch how she placed all the other couples around them? Which I thought was really good. They're, they're I don't know if they're in Dumbo, right? But they're right. somewhere, you know, in, in Brooklyn looking over um, Manhattan and they're kind of 
you know, standing around and there's other, other couples sort of like, you know, canoodling or taking pictures, right. but it sort of sets them apart in a different way because they're not doing that when everyone else around them is. And then when they take the, the circle line, the ferry to see the Statue of Liberty, same thing right. kind of going on. I thought that was really, really well done because you could miss it. Right. Again, it's not in your face. It's a very kind of subtle right. thing. And I think that is a big thing with the film, the subtlety of so much of it. Yeah. I mean, like, the, especially Nora, you know, I, her performance. Greta Lee's amazing. Is, is so like it's it, it, it's never rushed. She's I, I know I, I said that a lot here, but, but it, the way that she kind of just glides from scene to scene um when she's the young Nora it, there's there's a freshness to her there's an excitement to her there's an you know a longing for finding you know that that you know as you're going into adulthood and kind of going out on, on your own and facing the things that they're both about to face he's coming out of military service and then mm-hmm. having to really truly focus on his what he wants to be in life and also getting pressure from his Korean parents about finding you know a female you know finding a wife, a wife. And, and family and everything else and she's about to embark on, you know, uh, a writing program and really trying to have to even find, you know. And she's going off to a to a month long residence, you know, artist residency. And and I love this moment where she's like, "Look, I need to. I can't keep doing this. I, I I'm I'm looking for plane tickets to Seoul when I need to be doing this." Right. And, and I, but it was so real and so. And so, yeah, but another rejection of Hey Sung to that extent, and leaving, <laughs> yeah. and and also then leaving him behind again, where. As he has, I mean, they're, <clears throat> she's reminiscing with her sister and um, talking about their past lives, essentially. I mean, basically their life in Korea and they were, they're mm-hmm, looking mm-hmm. up, they're looking up their was old. Her, that was her mom. Oh, that was her mom? I thought, yeah. it was, I thought she was, I thought she was messing with her Because it said mom on the oh, phone. Okay. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I looked at you like, sister. We never see the sister again, but, <laughs> but we never see the father again either. So that's fine. <laughs> True. But yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, and then she looks up one of her dad's posts and like her dad's like a documentarian and her mom's a photographer, also a filmmaker in some sort of sense. And, uh, Hey Sung is posted and basically saying, Hey, you know, where is Nora? I, I, I wanted to reconnect with her. Um, you know, that, that, that usage of Hey Sung as kind of a, as a, as a shoulder to lean on in an uncertain time happens again over a period of months while they, while they're, um, you know, they're reconnecting. Uh, over Skype. And of course, you know, as they're older, now they're 24 and there's a, a deeper, you know, uh, whatever, different, a deeper attraction because they're, they're just different people at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that sequence, I, I don't, it's so yes, Greta is, is, is so amazing in, uh, she's able to like kind of switch those two time periods so well. And then by the time that she meets Arthur and is, clearly trying to find an anchor in this life and, and obviously isn't attracted to him as well. Uh, but you know, it's flirting with him about the, um, you know, about the karma and the Indian, the Indian, uh, that was, that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> really. She was. goes on this like big, big kind of spiel about what Indian is. And he goes, wait, do you believe that, that we <laughs> met before? And, and she goes, what? No, that's just something Koreans say when they want to seduce someone. <laughs> Oh, it was so good. Um, it made me smile. And then, and then once we get into, you know, the third act, and you invite this other party in, um, you know, to us to a story that we've that we really have only known the, these two characters together. Now we know it's we know what's coming, of course, but as if we've seen the, the trailer. <laughs> but, 
But Arthur plays that so well as well because that he conveys so much emotion and like and and with just being quiet and just his face and so much heartbreak and so much fear about you know something that he he i mean it's it's a it's a really good construct to have them both be foreigners in this in new york city where it's not only foreign to him their relationship and and you know he sung's knowledge of nora throughout her the first 24 years of her life um, but also then having an additional language barrier that he can't quite, you know, he, he's he's close, but can't quite fully put pick everything out so that when they're at the bar together, um, ha- you know, having pasta and and, and mm-hmm. he's still stuck on the sidelines with really nothing to do. And Nora's turned to him, you know, and, and engaging with Hey Sung. And even though they're talking and they're based and really this never gets lurid. This never no. really gets past being very chaste it's just it so that's what i love about this is that it never obviously there's romantic feelings there but the but the more feeling the the real feeling is a a feeling of what if right you know what could have been what my life had i taken a different path had i taken a different road had i stayed not left had i invested and not you know in this and not that what what could have been all of these questions that we all have about our lives and what we could have done differently and 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 being able to be presented with that in such a physical manner. Mm-hmm. And I just mean having a physical presence there to show you um, that someone you actually care about and in a deeper level than just, you know, what, you know, you have in a normal interaction. Yeah, it's a what if incarnate. Right. I mean, and, and, and it's and I and you see that in Arthur, because I think Arthur is never a matter of I'm worried that my wife is going to be unfaithful to me. It's more of a what if I you know what if she what if I'm not providing the life that you know what if this choice that she made what if she regrets this choice that she made um you know and and having that fear of like <clears throat> having it opened up again and having it, having the ability to look at well this what what you know could be um yeah it's, it's and he it's, even says Arthur even says like if this were a story he's like this is a really good story because if there was if this were a story I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad white guy, right, who's come in and kind of taken you, almost like in a cultural appropriation way. Right. right? And so he looks at that and he's like, it's almost like, is this right? Am, is this fair? Right. Or is this the right thing to do? And he says to her, is this what you wanted when you, when your family moved, you know, to Canada and you came to America? Is this what you wanted? And I love her reaction. She's like, are you saying, are you the fulfillment of my American dream? <laughs> I mean, that kind of right, idea, right. which on one hand, it's like, she's saying like, are you, are you that like full of yourself to think <laughs> that like, this is what I was chasing after. But at the same time, he's like, no, yeah. Like, is this really what you wanted? Right. right. But I mean, yeah, I love that this movie is so much about the what ifs. It's about culture, identity, how those two smash together, how they change, right? Based on location. I mean, um, Norris says about Sung, he's so Korean. <laughs> In a really funny scene where she says it like four times, that's just so Korean of him. That's so Korean. But, she, you know, she notes, or she notes how they are different types of, of Korean, right? Right. Um, and this film is also, again, like about the, the people who, the people we were versus the people we are and the people we might be later, Um well, and I love that Nora never really, I, 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 that she never lies to Arthur, because I think she would see that, that he would understand that she's lying, and then it would open up 
the distrust for everything else that she would say. But he asks, you know, is she attracted to him? Is he attractive? And she's like, yeah, I mean, I think so. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm attracted to him or not. I mean, those are biting answers to that I know, question. I know, that are I know. hard to hear, That right? was, yeah. But I think, like, to their credit, like, as a couple, as characters, they are very open and honest about that. He, yeah, I don't think he's ever worried that she's going to leave him really i think it's more that he's worried that like you said you know she made a mistake right right with with him and even you know hai sung when he when they're talking at the bar i mean he says you know to me you're someone who leaves but to arthur you're someone who stays right and again like you can be different people or you can be yeah a different person to different people and he even says kind of when they're reconnected when they're there together in person i think they both realize like yes this is not like it hurts because of the what if, what could have happened, but I've realized that this is not where like we're meant to be. Right. So, the, the, yeah, the line where he says, where Hey Sung says, "I didn't know it would hurt this much to like him." Like your like husband. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that? So when when Hai Sung walks into their apartment and sees Arthur for the first time. That was the first time those two actors had ever seen each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> that's cool. and they used the first take. Oh, wow. I mean, so that's they true. did a couple, but they ended up using the first take. Yeah. That's, that's so she she did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was was brilliant. Yeah, that's cool. And she also kept Greta Lee and Tae-Yu apart for as much as possible, right, to sort of kind of build that up, too. So Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, and then, so, <clears throat> the story ends, they have dinner together, um, Nora walks him to his Uber, there's an exchange while they're waiting for the Uber, and um, Nora goes back to Arthur and breaks down in tears, and, yeah. and that's um, essentially the film, right? I mean, that's, and, and um, you know, he kind of walks her back into the, into the, into their apartment. Yeah. And we see Hai Sung and his Uber heading off to the Yeah, airport. to go back to Korea. I I think it's I I when I when I was sitting there watching it and of course in just logistics I was just like why isn't this at more theaters like I'm not sure right. like when I saw it it was in a packed house and I'm like why are there not more screenings of this movie going around going around maybe it'll get a bigger release I doubt it but like I don't know why it's not being touted um, you know along the lines of what you see like and no offense to Asteroid City but something along the lines of what Asteroid I mean. If we're right. in an era where indie films, when I say indie films, and of course I, I cannot really consider Wes Anderson an indie filmmaker really anymore, but mm -mm. but these films that are that we feel like are under that should be let at certain level of, of box office performance that are overperforming, and then of course these these movies that are are uh, you know these big budget movies that are underperforming. I'm not sure why we're not trying to to kind of adjust accordingly. Because, again, like I said, I mean, like, there's, um, I don't know any other film like this in the theaters right now. And, of course, it's summer, right? So, I mean, this is a perfect kind of anti or, you know, programming to The Flash or Transformers or whatever the fuck else is out there yeah, right that's, now. Yeah, I, I, I thought that this was a wonderful antidote to a summer blockbuster, like, mainstream, you know, superhero movie. Yeah. It, it, and and I, I do think this one will get recognition at the end of the year. I can't imagine how it, it wouldn't. Um, it is so, it is, it's just so beautiful and so well done that, yeah, I would, I would watch this over and over and over again. Um, this is going to be in my rotation of films oh. that, that, that I see. 100%. <laughs> I mean, that's why, like I said, I mean, I saw it twice in four days and, and I was out of town, 
when I saw it. And one reason was because I couldn't find it screening here back mm -hmm. home. So I went and saw it again before I left <laughs> so yeah. that I could. Be, and, it, and it's better the second time. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes films don't hold up on multiple viewings, but this one was, I mean, it, uh, it's just, it really is good. It's so quiet. It's so patient. It's so smart. It's so well put together. Um, There's just scene sequences where like it's, like and you, I know you you've seen it in the in the trailer, and you see Nora like walking through New York City and walking around, and she's in this great fucking outfit, like where it's just like kind of like hanging on her, but still like fitting. I mean, it's I don't know she's stunning to look at to me. I mean, it's just but there's moments where she's just sitting and kind of like leaning back into herself and just letting all of this happen as like it, <laughs> of all of the characters of the kind of the two nebbish, uh, unsure kind of worried characters around her the two male characters around her she's so confident in herself of like all right if hey sung is if something happens here i think she's completely open to the the possibility that that the what if is overpowering the what is mm -hmm. and that's i you know i don't think i mean you know there's a lot of lesser films that don't have the ability to do to show that and to convey that and and a lot of lesser actors who won't be able to pull that off, but, but she does it so well and is never, like I said, she, even if there is a moment of doubt inside of her, and of course you see her break down at the end of the movie, she holds all of that in. And she's not even unwilling to direct her attention to Hey Sung when they're all together. And there's a moment in the movie where, you know, they're walking with Arthur on the street and she's and he's like, well, what did you guys do today? Mm -hmm. Well, we went to the you know we went to Satchel Liberty. He's like, oh yeah, we've never done that. And it's like we've been married for like ten years. We've never done that. Like, <laughs> really? She's like, we haven't. Wait, are you sure? <laughs> uh, no, she she is really um, she's the center of the film, and I know it's the two of them, but it's really her film. And I don't know if that's more just because of how the characters written or because of her performance or both, right? But she is the center of this film. She is the sort of center of strength, I think, in this film. And confidence. She is the, again, like like you said, the one character who really is kind of self-assured and self-possessed without coming across as arrogant or overconfident. It's just like, this is... She seems to know, at least on some level, who she is and who she wants to continue to become, right? Right, right. And, and I think you see that. I mean, again, her physical embodiment. But like you said, there are a lot of actors who can't pull that off. And I think she is... I mean, I think most of us know Greta Lee from the Sweet Birthday Baby, like Russian Doll, and some right, other things too. Right. I mean, she's been around for a while, and done some, but but this is just, um, yeah. I mean, it's a tour de force. I think. Yeah, I agree. So, um, okay. Anyway, anything else about past lives? No. no okay. Go, go see it. Go see it. Uh, yes. Go and... see it and go see it multiple times. It is a perfect film. <laughs> Get that look in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect film, and if you disagree, I will. And so will the theater in, in North yes. Carolina. So. Uh, it was or in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Yeah. That yeah. Was the yeah. yeah, shout out to Can Can in Indianapolis where I saw the film twice. You guys are my new best friends. You going there and like, and the, we're talking about the one in, in North Carolina mm -hmm. and then me being the one in Alabama. I just, I, now I just wanted to take a, like a road trip and just hit I know. You know yeah. all these independent theaters. Yeah, it would be great. Um, so why don't you figure out funding for that? <laughs> <laughs> Despite the Texas heat, Jason, I noticed that you're wearing your G-Dog jacket today. <laughs> so, so I, let's... I want to talk about that that character. I, 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 obviously, I know I we, we talked about it offline, too, but so... 
I don't know who I am, but I know what keeps me alive, keeps me out of jail, keeps me from hurting people. I do as I'm told. What's the point in any of it? It's all just gonna boil up and wash us away. Hey, mister. Yeah? Me and my daddy just got into town. I was wondering if you'd give us a job. I pay a day's pay for a day's work. And if we work till dinner and get rained out, I pay for the whole day. Does that sound fair enough? Yes, sir. I'm Joe. And I watch that boy. I see someone who's nothing like me. What are you looking at? Why do you stick around like this? What's most important right now is me taking care of Dorothy and Mama. We kind of got a family problem right now. What happened? He's all beat up. I can't get my hands dirty and every little thing. You know how I get. Why you want to go back to the damn penitentiary, man? Freeze, Joe! Bring your mom and your sister. We'll be safe here. Person just don't know from one day to the next which one's gonna be their last. Getting old, y'all. Who am I to tell you how to live your life? Don't fool yourself too much about me. If I find out something's happened to that boy, I'm gonna whip whoever's ass has something to do with it. Thank you, sir. Uh, you don't need to call me, sir. I'm your friend. You think Joe's your daddy? I'm the one taking care of you. Folks looking for trouble tend to find more than they're after. If anything happens to me, you get out of the way, you hear? I've been looking for you and that kid. What have you done, Joe? Did Joe come before Prince Avalon? It's not that it matters in I, our conversational part. I know they filmed both of them at the same time. They were both like super ridiculously short sh shoots yeah yeah um so I, I don't remember which one was released first i thought joe was it may, it may be um i thought joe was and then i thought prince avalanche and i'm just kind of going off i believe like imdb sort of listings let me double check um because i am more than happy to be <laughs> wrong i i have no well, problem i remember wrong. i remember there being more buzz about prince avalanche at least on i do too indie, i do like, too circuit level that it, it seems to get more sort of like sundance stuff and uh, are were you familiar with the book of joe <laughs> no joe 326 no were you no 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 okay. i just knew that it was based on a novel i didn't i have not read it oh no prince avalanche is listed first so I was I was wrong. So which one do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about Prince? You want to talk about so we already talked about G Dog. Let's just get into Joe. Okay, okay. So so we're gonna go out of order here and we're gonna talk about um Joe. We'll go in alphabetical order. Yeah. <laughs> which we've done for all of his films. <laughs> all right. So here is here is a very again, like a very short uh kind of elevator log line of the or elevator pitch log line of the film. Uh, the rough-hewn boss of a lumber crew, Joe, played by Nicolas Cage, courts trouble when he steps in to protect the youngest member of his team, Gary, played by Ty, Ty Sheridan, from an abusive father. So this is this is another film kind of like Undertow. The, right? Yeah, this is, the, to me, this is him. And George Washington. Right, it is, yeah, it is George Washington meets Undertow. This is, this to me is him 
atoning for undertow. Okay, and so like, but it all like it, it deals with a section of society, right? That is that is poor, rural, southern, fairly rough, right? Maybe with criminal tendencies, and I don't mean that in like a negative way, right? I think criminal tendencies and sort of a, in order to survive and, and more petty stuff, not so much like we just kill each other all the time. Well, and domestic, I don't think it's out of line to say domestic strife tends to lend itself to those who are under a, po- you know, a poverty line. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. I think that's fair to say, right? So this is the same kind of thing that happens in this movie is most of the violence is based on unfulfilled potential and also, you know, home lives that are, that are less than ideal. Right. So Gary and his father, Wade, the aforementioned G-Dog, are, are transient drifters. Um, Wade is an abusive alcoholic who, who we understand kind of gets in trouble at, at different sort of jobs or, or in different sort of ways and forces that small family to kind of move from place to place to place, homeless or semi-homeless. Yeah, they're taking up residence in a, in like, a basically like squatting, a, right? I right. Mean, and basically a condemned home. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and Wade will do anything to get his next drink, next fix, steal, kill, sell his daughter or attempt to sell his daughter. And, and I think there's something here that really only gets kind of hinted at by, by DWG with these characters in the movie, right? I mean, these are people, including Joe, who live on a sort of edge of a different society, right? The, the world that, that you and I inhabit, Jason, <laughs> right, looks nothing like theirs, right? There are different rules for them. There are different ways of being for them. And I don't mean this as a judgment. I just mean it as like an observation, right? And so I'm curious, like how you think yeah, he so portrays this or, or, or how, how does he kind of show us this? It's, it's intriguing because the, you're right. It is this kind of almost ethereal like world that we're placed in because it's not like undertow and it's it's a little bit more like george washington in the sense that most of the characters are kids and so we're kind of in this um you know, like you said transient world where we're just floating from here to there with real with no real purpose right we don't have a set agenda these you know joe has a job to go out and poison these trees that are going to be cut down and he has a crew that does it and they're day laborers um, but he also exists in a world where, um, you know, there's a brothel in this in this city that that uh, exists in a as, ramshackle house, right? Too. That exists as like a like a twenty four seven like sex shack, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if you won't, it still exists as a sex <laughs> yeah, shack. It doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> this is what it is. But but Joe, um, you know, it's it's it is it is an, like an interesting take on all of it because. You know, characters get shot and don't go to the hospital. Characters get into fights with cops and there are very little repercussions to those interactions. And so it's like Joe has mapped out a life for himself in this kind of decrepit world where he can still rise above the chaff a little bit, but still kind of is oppressed by all of it and is in his own, you know, his own devices and his own, uh, you know, failings. And it's also like a society of the doomed. I mean, all these people are doomed. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's it's like we saw in Snow Angels, where you knew that this was all going to end poorly for everyone. Right. This is not going to be a happy movie by any means. It's another one where um, you know David Gordon Green brings in untrained actors. All of the people who work on Joe's crew. 
So the only trained actors, well, I shouldn't say only ones, but the main two are Ty Sheridan and, and, uh, Nick and, Cage. and Nicolas Cage. And everyone else, I, I, I would imagine, I mean, I would imagine most of the, of the main pieces are actors, but all of the townsfolk and, yeah. are going to be people the, he picked up from. Yeah, the two most Austin. prominent like non-actors were Junior, who was basically like Joe's foreman on the crew. Right. right? And then Wade, right, who was um, Ty Sheridan's father. Who was like, an actual homeless man. Yeah, we'll, so we'll, want, we'll get to, the, we'll get to okay. that point. Let's get, okay. to, let's get to the story because I want to. <laughs> no, well, no, yeah, 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 no. The only reason I wanted to do that is because I, I, I have a question about the morality is the wrong word about using using those actors. And then kind of. No, I, I have lots of. Th- yeah. So, so Joe, um, essentially the story is, is really. We follow Joe throughout the town and, and, and his kind of wanting to be a better person and seeing wrongs and wanting to right them. Um, Joe fancies himself as kind of a, in a, in a way above it all, but that never really comes across outside of him being the foreman and just him being that kind of role, right? And it, it doesn't, <clears throat> he doesn't, carries himself as holier than now. He understands he has faults. He's, he goes to, um, the brothel, you know, and he has a woman that loves him at home, and that that a lot of the characters get the movie's so dark, and a lot of the thought of scenes that the, a lot of the side stuff gets murky. Um, he takes up he t- you know he takes a liking to to Wade um, to Gary to Gary sorry he takes a liking to Gary you know they, he's kind of a father son type of um, uh, you know relationship. He threatens um, Wade with violence if he hurts Gary, but of course that doesn't that doesn't uh, yeah. change anything. He still does hurt him. And then it all culminates in a in a moment of of um, you know a big shootout and and Joe takes care of the people that uh, end up hurting him and you know everyone's dead at the end of it and, and Gary gets to walk away <laughs> yeah driving his truck and hit with his dog yeah I, I how did you feel about this movie I think this is another film that should have been better than yeah you know, so like I said about Snow Angels where I'm like this should have been a much better movie. I think this should have been better, too. I f- it feels so disjointed to me. It feels like he's trying to do the kind of Malick treatment on this when it should have just been, a, it should just be kind of a straightforward character study. But he doesn't. He gets, and I don't mean to, I think there's a lot, a lot of uh, almost good stuff going on in the film. But when Joe starts into that kind of weird monologue voiceover, about how like everything's just gonna like wash us all away. That's where, to me, it kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. And I think Cage's performance starts to kind of fall apart as well. Um, I thought I thought Ty Sheridan was fine. I thought he was he was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's such a thing as too much poetry. <laughs> like I really don't. But I, I I don't think he found the balance in this film. Right. So so where I was a fan of all the real girls and a fan of George Washington, because I like that balance, right, of of sort of poetry and and whatever else is going on there. I don't think this one carries that through. I I think the juxtaposition for me of the the untrained actors and 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 Cage and and Sheridan's performance kind of it, it pulls me out. I think I understand why you have both of those. And 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 it's almost it's it would be seemingly impossible to to not have those names in it and get this film financed, but I think that if you wanted to really do this film well, this would have been all unknowns. This is right. A, I, this is a better movie. I and I don't think Cage's performance is bad. I really don't. I just 
I think this is, and, and, and I will say this, I think I like this movie a little bit better than you, just because mm -hmm. I think I was more forgiving of him going back and trying to do something and doing Undertow better. I think this is a much better film than Undertow. Oh, yeah. And I like this movie. I like this I like this one a little bit more than I like George Washington. I will say this, though. This movie is horrifically unpleasant to watch. Like, out of all of them that we've seen so far, aside from The Sitter in your eyes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unpleasant in a different way. Right. I mean, like, it starts off in the first 10 minutes are just people yelling at each other, right? It's just, it's, it's, um... And then nothing, it's grimy in the way that, like, the, you know, and Seven is grimy. I mean, it's just, right. it is so oppressive and overbearing in a sense that you never, like, not that this needs a sense of levity at all, but, like, even the relationship between between Joe and Gary is still, <clears throat> is still one of, of uh, you know, sadness. I mean, and really kind of, there's nothing, you you know how this is going to end, so it doesn't. It, I don't know if there's any sort of way to like get around that. But I think this goes back to my point about like him not fully showing us this world, and I think this is yeah. So Cage and Sheridan, I think, keep us kind of detached from that world, or we can still sort of like maintain this suspension of disbelief, where where we don't if we don't have such well known actors, maybe we can sort of become more immersed in this world because I think the violence is or. I think maybe what Green is doing here is trying to show us just the everydayness of the violence or how the violence is sort of, this is just how it is, right? These are the different rules here. This is how this part of society works. We yell right. at each other. We shoot at each other. We get in bar fights yeah, where we, no we, one's going to call the cops right? yeah, because go, that's go, we, how this works. We go and we go to the, you know, we go to the brothel and, and it, there's no questions asked. Everyone right. knows where I keep my dog chained up under the house and it still loves me for some reason. Right. right. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, that was a fucked up scene too. The where dog the dog scene, killed the other dog? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you don't really see it on screen. No. They, 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 they sniff around one another. But then when Nicolas Cage is, there's this one He's, dog at the brothel that Nicolas Cage is, is basically doesn't like Nicolas Cage, and it's a whole point of contingent. And it's and it, of this the dog worst, is an asshole. <laughs> yeah, of the worst Nicolas Cage performances in the movie, that's really probably it. So he lets his dog. That's ghost. his Cage moment, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And so when the dog comes back to Cage after Cage has gotten a, a fellatio upstairs at the, at the uh, brothel. Um, his dog is covered in blood, and so you're meant to assume that obviously that they killed the other dog. I, 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 I was just like, I don't really know why that's necessary. It's, I mean, like, well, it's not, right? I mean, it's 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 not. Why does the other dog need to be in the brothel in the first place? I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, so I mean, I think there's a way to like just not have that happen. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean again. How about the movie never gets made if there's not if there's not a Nick Cage actor here, right? I don't think so. At, at, at this point, I don't think it does. Maybe earlier. I mean, maybe you know, if this were the first or second film, sure. But I don't think it gets I mean, made and, and after Nick, that. Yeah, because Nick Cage turns down like The Expendables three and something else for this. So I'm assuming that it's his kind of cachet that is able to pull this off. Right. And he said that this is one of the favorite films that he's ever done, like as far as the filming and the set goes, which I can understand sure. totally. I mean, it's his set. It's his control. He gets to work with "quote unquote" real people, and in a and so I would imagine I can I completely understand from an actor perspective how this would be, um, you know, a, a good experience for you, especially one of Nick Cage who was kind of trying to find that place for himself at that particular point in time. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, as far as the is, I do think it's a, it's a. It's close to return to form for David Gordon Green that he's he's going to get, um, you know, <laughs> really in the rest of his careers up to this, up to, you know, up to today as, as of this recording. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think this is one of the reasons why I'm not why I'm why I'm not as high on it as you are is that it almost feels like a disappointment in that return to form. Maybe I expected more. I do think uh, I do think one of my sticking points is the use of of non actors. Yeah, so let's how let's, how the how the non actors are used because so let's tell the story of of G Dog. So <laughs> yeah, so he wears a, he, he, we call him G Dog because that's, that's on that's, the back of his uh, Letterman's he wears jacket. he wears like a jacket like a Letterman's jacket from the, from the past and it just says G Dog on the back. <laughs> um, so Wade in the film is played by Gary Poulter. And his only other acting credit was as an extra in 30-something. So he was a homeless man who was suffering from alcoholism. He was seriously ill in other ways, namely being bipolar, and I believe having lung cancer as well. He, he died of lung cancer, yes. Well, he died— Oh, he died of drowning, but, yeah. but he did have lung yeah. cancer, yes. Um, and, and I think before that, he had about a skin cancer as well. Yeah, because he lost so, an ear because of—or half partial right. part of his ear because of skin cancer, yes. And so— uh, he was found dead in a shallow part of Ladybird Lake in Austin. He, he was in a homeless encampment at the time, right? And um, and this, this was, was before months, the film even released. A few released. months after the film finished rap. Yeah. And it, rap, yeah, so. Yeah. And, but yes, and, before it was released. <clears throat> and he was literally picked off the street. I mean, you know, they saw this guy and, and, and they wanted to cast him. The producers didn't want him because of the alcoholism and everything else. But Dave, but DWG wanted to, wanted to stick by him. I, I think he's good. I mean, I think he gives his... I mean, it's an authentic performance. Yeah, sure. and his... So his sister... His sister said... Uh, let me see if I can find it. But this guy's led a rough... Rough, rough, rough I mean, he was In and out of jail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he was abused as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, he also... But he was also abusive to siblings as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, parents didn't know what to do with him, shipped him off to the Navy... Um, he immediately went a wall in the navy. I mean, this is a guy who lived his in life. Japan and then lived on the street in Japan and became right. fluent. And he can <laughs> <Yeah>. speak fluent <laughs> Japanese, but this is a guy who lived his life without with undiagnosed mental um, illness issues. Uh, but yeah, he. But was, yeah, his. I just want to say, like his sister, his sister said, "Gary's not even acting. That's so totally him." Right, so. right, right. And so yeah, so they find him after a year and a half in in Japan. He goes. Uh, gets dishonorably discharged, um, you know, has a couple of kids, but is basically still abusive to everyone in his life, has alcohol problems, drug problems. Um, and by the time that he's found here, um, you know, he's, you know, he's a homeless man on the streets of Austin, which, uh, you know. And then so, like you said, we, he um, has, you know, they, they get, they set him up in a hotel, you know, uh, he's obviously getting paid. They get him set up with a computer so he can Skype with his sister He's on Facebook and making comments and things like that. He's after the rap party, the producer kind of sticks with him and puts him up for another role in another movie. Um, but, you know, he but he can't escape his alcoholism mm-hmm. problems. He mm-hmm. kills off the wagon. And so by the time that they find him, you know, he is I mean, it's, it's horrible. But, you know, he was drunk. He was urinating in Lady Bird Lake. His feet got stuck in the muck. He fell down. Um, oh. And then, you know, they found him drowned um, because he was too drunk to get out of the lake. Uh, and again, this. So, I, I, you know, it's that's another thing about watching this movie and knowing that, um, you know, you use it as an IMDb trivia piece. But, you know, what? And I'm, I, look, I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment on on anybody in the industry or David Gordon Green or this is not what this conversation is for me is about, but I mean, like, what do we owe these people? And is it moralistically okay 
to is it, expo- is it exploitation? I mean, I know yeah. we're, we're we're pulling somebody for their talent, right? But you're also giving someone, I mean, in essence, a loaded gun, and yeah. you're and you're enabling and providing them more money than what they would have had, and then what stability once the shoot is over. What are you going to do with that person? You know, the same thing happened with the kids that were in Slumdog Millionaire, too. They were all right. promised certain scholarships and certain things, but they also had to meet up certain criteria. They were all given apartments when they were on the movie. And, and I won't say that they all died peeing in Ladyburg Lake. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, <laughs> this, this idea of like we, you know, for a film, what was the point of, 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 taking, of plucking someone off the street, putting him in a major production, um, and then... Uh, you know, literally, yeah, and again, I'm not going to come out comment on anybody who was on this movie or anything like that, but by lack, by just nature of human movement and writing jobs and how these movies work, you're abandoning him after this is all right. over with. Right. I mean, at some point, you know, he's going to go back to homelessness. You're not making his life any better by putting him in this movie. So is it better that he lives a good six months and then goes back because you've enabled, you know, him able to, to, to partake in these demons? Or is it better off that you just left them on the street? I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. It's just a. But it's a. But I think this is. I mean, this is a big question that we see in society too. I mean, and and <clears throat> so like with the Slumdog Millionaire kids. I mean, we're going to say things like, "Well, we gave you every opportunity to do this. We gave you every right. opportunity to you know rise above or better yourself." But look, if all you've ever known, if you're if you if your socioeconomic status up until this point was one thing, and then the next day it's something else, how the fuck do you know how to deal with that? I wouldn't know how to deal with it, right? I mean, look, if I were Gary Poulter, I would have done. I'd end up the same right, place, right? Right. I mean, I know that for for certain. So how do we? We want authenticity in this film, so we cast this guy, and we're just using this person. Yeah. Right. And, and, and is that, I mean, I and think now he's, an, and now he's an anecdote to the end of this movie. Right. right. I mean, that's right. Now here, two idiots on a podcast are talking about him. Right. But, but I think like, with, with very serious kind of questions, th- th- you know, I think we see this in other films too. This kind of like poor exploitation, right? Right. We see it in Winter's Bone. We see it in Gummo. I, I mean, this isn't anything new, but it doesn't mean that we still can't address kind of like the tragedy that happens at the end of these of how we just sort of leave people behind after we're done with them yeah and again that's a bigger kind of societal issue and i almost think things like you know if it were a zero budget film like something like a john waters piece or gummo to the extent or we're just putting we're pointing a camera at these folks and we're giving them a very small per, you know stipend yeah. per day yeah. or we're not i mean because they're not sag actors so we're not you know who the fuck we, we don't you, you don't have to pay them right right Right. And, so, and not to say that that's okay. <clears throat> no, but but, being, I, but it is a different scenario, and I and I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's almost better for them, right? I mean, like you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped, and I get that a hundred percent. And and you couldn't have forced him to go to AA or put him into. You could, I mean, you could have maybe gotten him help from a from a uh, you know from a diagnosis perspective and a doctor perspective. What help? Him, what happens if he gets on the right bipolar meds? Right. I mean, th- then does that treatment become easier? To to sustain, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, and, and you're right. This is a societal problem and not just a movie problem. Right. But I but I do think it's interesting. Uh, you know, maybe it's the thought experiment of like, you know, as we as you watch something like this and you know what happens. Like we see people and we we fetishize 
um, you know, uh, Heather, what's her face from, and if I, I don't mean that to be disrespectful, I just can't think of her name. Um, but you know, the little girl from Poltergeist, right? I mean, we, we oh, watch yeah, her get yeah, sicker yeah. and sicker and sicker throughout it. And now, and now she's trivia about, Ooh, all the poltergeist deaths. I mean, it's kind of fucked up that we, and I know we've talked about all the, the fucked up things that we do to, to celebrities on this podcast, but I feel like there's just an ick factor of this movie, knowing what's going to happen to this character and knowing that we have, I mean, really we're watching a man that is playing out his own demons on screen for our enjoyment and then going right back to them after the camera turns off. And it's, and I, you know, it's another thing too. Like, I mean, so what, what really struck me about this movie or about in, in regards to that, about this movie is that when he is bludgeoning the other homeless man mm-hmm. to death mm-hmm. and like, so he sees another homeless man and he's like, Hey, what you got? And the guy doesn't speak to him cause he's drunk and he probably can't hear him. So he goes and follows him for about a mile. That man sits down cause he's drunk and he's drinking and he, and he starts talking to him about how, you know, he basically he takes the bottle of bo- uh, booze from him and beats him over the head with it in a very violent scene. Well, he beats him with like a, uh, a rebar. Right. 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 And then yeah. takes the booze from him. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm just wondering who that man was as well, knowing that are we just, are we just, what are we doing for these people? Because you're using them. I mean, you're using yeah. them for your, for, to, to, to further your career. You're using them as an anecdote to this, to this story. You're using them as, as you know, <laughs> cheap labor, right. for, you know, and, and you're using them to provide you authenticity to this, to this, to this in, independent film that, so to, to that end, what the fuck are we doing? Right. Can I read you an exchange sure. between Sheridan and DWG? Yeah. So, so this is Sheridan and Green talking, and I find this to be like really patronizing, but I, I do want your reaction. So this is Sheridan. It's great because they give such a free performance. They're willing to say anything they want to say. Green, they don't know the rules. Sheridan, exactly. And sometimes they get so nervous that stuff starts coming out of their mouth and it's like, oh my God, this is really great. And you have to roll with it. When you're doing the scene, you can feel it in the performance and it's coming out so natural. I feel like this is a, hey, look, we just trained a monkey to dance. Right. Isn't that so cool? This is a bum fight, right? I mean, this is, these, we've just given this guy a Twinkie and, and, and so let's, let's let him go. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know when Ty Sheridan does this interview, if it's right after the movie's over. I mean, he's young, but at this point, but yeah, it, it's kind of, it's gross. No, right. I mean, and I think, and this is one of the turnoffs for the, for the movie for me was where you're watching this and I'm, and I, and I just can't like get that out of my head that like, these guys are just being kind of used here for art. Right. right. And, and, and look, I know we use each other every day for whatever nefarious and non, you know, malicious means. Right. But, but yeah, it comes down to entertainment and I don't feel good being entertained by that. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's a, there's definitely an ick factor that just, I, and again, that's not even a strong enough term for it. In no. existence, but, and like I said, if, I don't know, just knowing yeah. what you know about it, it, it does make it. Like I said, lack of a better term, just gross. It's right. just, it's. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I, I don't really want to stand here and, and be like holier than thou because God knows I'm not, right? But at the same time, I do think it's worth bringing up and calling attention to and, and sort of having a serious conversation about it. And, and, you know, not saying, look, I'm not trying to cancel David Gordon Green <clears throat> for a movie that's 10 years old. Right? But I do think it's 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 worth noting and worth sort of bringing up and thinking about more than just a, oh, my God, did you know? Right. right? The, the postscript shouldn't be drowns in Ladybird Lake with his pants around his ankles. That right. shouldn't be the postscript. Right. The postscript should be David Gordon Green saying, you know, 
I, we gave him this opportunity to hopefully, and I, you know, I was, I'm, I'd love to be able to do this again. And I, and it's unfortunate it turned out the way we did. We tried our best with, with someone and we just weren't able to connect. And that's, that's possibly and probably what actually happened. It's just a matter of now the story is what it is. It almost, to me, this come, you know, he dies before the movie comes out. This is what you should be talking about. Right. Right. This, right. this should have been like, hey, I want to call out a performance of a forgotten piece of, of America, yeah. of someone that we normally that we that we normally, you know, push aside and we we don't we and we disregard. And and and, and I, you know, we weren't able to help him. And, you know, I question whether or not we should have done this any sort of you know, again, just having some kind of, of way, and, right. Any sort of humility or any sort of recognition of that rather than having it. This guy died, you know, a few months before the movie came out mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he was really a homeless person. Okay, yeah. great. That's that is the least of what we should be saying. Yeah. And another way to sort of emphasize kind of like you were just um, saying, another way to emphasize or show us this this world that we don't we don't see. We don't inhabit. We don't we pretend doesn't exist as right. well. Right. I'm just against any kind of othering, any kind of like exotic othering of, of people in general. And that's what. I think is happening here and that's what happens in that conversation right look look at the other person over there right and i i don't like that ever right ever. And, the, and, the, <laughs> and the conversation that you that you highlighted does just that yeah. right it's not about this was a human being who was good at acting and this and then and but that we <laughs> and that we also exploited their mental health issues right because look at them go and, and they'll say crazy shit yeah i mean <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's that's disgusting. Should we oh. move on? <laughs> let's get, let's go on to Prince. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about the equal time agreement? The equal time boombox agreement doesn't apply in this case, all right? That's just for recreation. Oh, come on! Hey! We got a lot of lines to paint, and it's a very long road. I suggest you start the machine and keep it going. Okay, Alvin. Yeah? You have your tool belt on backwards. You gonna hit it in with your hand? Right? When you were out here by yourself, didn't you get lonely? I reap the rewards of solitude. Huh? <sighs> I get so horny out here in nature, don't you? Enjoy your hot fish. Here's to fire in our hearts. <laughs> you shouldn't smoke. I know it's bad for you. No, I mean, you shouldn't smoke. You look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting paid today. Let go! Get off me! Ah. How did you live your life up to this point without knowing how to gut a fish or build a tent or tie a knot? How did you live this long and not kill yourself for being such a boring loser who thinks he's so smart and good at everything? For your information, you're not! I thought that this job would be good for me to figure out a way to be happy with my life. Just need an adventure. Oh! 
I don't know if it's lighter or not. Anyway, let's move on to Prince Avalanche. And here again, short storyline. Two highway road two highway road workers spend the summer of 1988 away from their city lives. The isolated landscape becomes a place of misadventures as the men find themselves at odds with each other and the women they left behind. The stars Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch. As Did you ever get the sense that it was actually 1988 in this movie? I guess from like Paul Rudd's outfits? The boombox, maybe. In the, in the cassette tapes and the socks? <laughs> the like calf length uh, the socks were on uh, point. striped <laughs> like, like gym socks? I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> the fucking socks, um, man. Paul Rudd's. Uh, <laughs> That's what Stranger Things is really missing in there. I know. Those the socks, socks, right? I, but those <laughs> socks, I. Those are cool socks. Um, I used to, back when I could still play basketball, when my knees weren't completely shot, I used to wear socks like, like that. I mean, in an ironic way. Right. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kevin McHale, you also had yes. like sweatbands on and stuff. It's very cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I love Kevin McHale. Who didn't? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, yeah, this, this film takes place in 88. And I, okay, I want to ask you this question. I'm really curious about the metaphor the film is trying to set up with the opening title card with the wildfires, <laughs> or am I just reading too much into that, trying to be a metaphor for something? I don't. I, <laughs> it's so misplaced. That I, uh, uh, so the, the title card basically states something along the lines of however many forest fires happen, or like however many... Like if a forest fire happened in Bastrop, Texas, right? Uh, or not forest fire, but a, you know, a fire. And and it was and, called the Bastrop Community Complex fires, I think. Right, and that, uh, you know, so many homes and so many lands, acres of land were destroyed, and no one knows how it happened. And then we cut into our two heroes of the film. If it is a metaphor, it is completely lost on everyone who sees this okay. movie. I, I mean, look, I did think it was ridiculously odd. I don't think that it doesn't like it's if <laughs> it's I don't know. <laughs> it just seems like that's such a fucking hammer to the head of like, OK, here's what's it, I don't know. It, it This this movie fucking sucks. But anyway, just <laughs> <laughs> Look, I did like Joe more than this. I mean, I mean, again, I think I do. Okay. Let me take a step back for a second. I, I can't believe, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to step <laughs> no, that's on you, okay. Go I ahead. I can't believe the one I suggested this fucking series. And I cannot believe <laughs> that like, based on all the real girls that I thought that I was a David Gordon Green fan. I mean, that, that I thought that this was a, like, and I don't, it's, it's weird. Like, I wouldn't have thought we would have shat on just about everything. I know. I feel but bad. I do, too, kind of. And just because it's just a weird, like, and it's also kind of highlights a little bit to me of, like, the silliness of being a, a movie nerd and, like, oh, just, yeah. Like, cause, cause, and trying to, like, be branched out into all the different, like, areas of film that you can fucking take in. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, I saw all the Rogos. He clearly has to be a good filmmaker because I've seen all the Rogos and I fucking love that thing. And then, <clears throat> and then from there, and I knew Gordon, I knew George Washington was lauded. And I actually, these movies don't have bad reviews either. I mean, Joe's, I know, I Joe's know. a 6.8 on IMDb. This is a 6.3, I well, think. And, 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 and they're good reviewed. They're well reviewed within. By I mean, actual critics. Right, yeah. right. I think, yeah, I think. 
and again, I hate using Rotten Tomatoes, but I mean, like the that's why I said real critics, <laughs> right? Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so going back to the metaphor, I, it it it. I mean, is it a metaphor of like we don't know how any of this happens in our own lives, or these two men don't know how this happened in their own lives? And their own because again, it's really just Paul Rudd, right? I mean, it's not Emil Hirsch pretty much has his shit on point. He knows who he is. He doesn't I mean, does look, he though? Because the, okay, he's floating. So, he's a but kid. This though. is the right. But this is I mean, to me, the film is it, it, is again kind of connecting with past lives. The film is in a way about the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, but then the other people that see through the bullshit and see us maybe a little bit more closely to what we really are. Right, but I okay. So where do you think Emil Hirsch? How do you think he views himself outside of it? Because even as, it, as a complete ladies' man, <clears throat> look, look. Okay, can we just talk about like getting the little man squeezed? I, I don't. Well, I don't really want to talk about getting the little man squeezed. But, but this is his whole thing, right? Like I can't go the whole summer without getting laid. Right. right. But he talks about like I'm going to go to the beauty pageant because I'm eighty to ninety percent like guaranteed to score. So he sees himself as this kind of cool ladies man right he's hip right the girls dig him he's got friends he talks about being a good dancer and paul rudd's like you can't dance with a shit right <laughs> and he's like you never see me dance he's like i've seen you do other things kind of you know um um hinting at that some of this work some of the road work they're doing requires a kind of rhythm and a kind of repetition that emil hirsch does not have right so I mean, I don't know. Do they know who they are? I mean, because and Paul Rudd is clearly not right. the man Paul he has, thinks he no. is in this film. No, maybe, so maybe so I so just just the job that they're doing. They're basically after the forest fire. They're a road cleanup crew. They're they're and they're repainting. Lines. They're repainting lines. They're re-adding um, you know bear like uh, the reflective Mile barrier. Posts, yeah, yeah. Miles posts, yeah. Right. and then reflective markers on the eroded cell. I, I for me, my perspective of Neil Hirsch is that he knows that he's a fading star. And that he's aging out of this whatever he was and that he's because you keep he he knows his sweet spot. He keeps going back to girls that he's hooked up with before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he knows like he knows how to like play the he. So he plays the averages, right? A Lothario or a Pleiades man wouldn't give a shit about going to the beauty pageant right, because he wants Paul Rudd to think that he's something else. I think he's just bored. I think he's just bored with the with the scenario. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of yeah. course, I think we want to put on, but I don't. But but also. I don't think he understands Paul Rudd at all. And I don't, I mean, and I think he's just telling stories. I think he, because he opens up about him getting, himself getting older and fatter. And that's why he's got to be a good, he's got to be a good dancer, <laughs> right, right? Right, I know. <laughs> he, needs to, like, <laughs> he needs something in his back pocket. He's what, like 22? I mean, is he that old? <laughs> right, yeah, I don't know. Um, and of course, Paul Rudd is, has, is going through a bad breakup with his girlfriend who's in his, pseudo it's not a stepkid but it's uh, but um you know her her son um and this is all taking place in texas so he references garland as a big city right, in garland right and his girlfriend is emile hirsch's sister. sister right and that's how emile hirsch got the job was basically paul rudd do you you don't really he doesn't really say this but he's trying to make nice with his you know with his sister with yeah. his girlfriend so he hires his girlfriend's brother because there's job. there's tension there or at least right. it's it's hinted at again so they're is. taking they're taking time apart he's working this remote job out in you know the uh Hills country of of Texas, um, and never coming back into the city. He's just basically taking time to himself. He's learning German because they think he thinks that they're going to go on a German vacation together. So he's listening to German tapes. He's writing her letters and sending her money, and um, you know, basically trying to reconnect with himself, but doing exactly the opposite of all of that. He's he's 
kind of doing a Walden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. He, and, and, and you almost feel like he fancies himself a Thoreau. Right, he's a fisherman. You know, he lives off the land. He's able to catch squirrels and, and cook eggs and, like, he well, I can cook eggs. <laughs> right. He thinks he can. He thinks he can. He thinks he's an outdoorsman because he can uh, set up a tent and gut a fish, mm-hmm. and that Emil Hirsch can't do those things. And so, yeah, Emil Hirsch is twenty four because he says, "How can you've gotten to age twenty four and not know how to set up a tent or gut a right, fish?" Right. Um, I don't and, know how to gut a fish. Do you know how to gut a fish? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, kind of. Okay. You just right. cut it open in the middle and you grab all the okay. shit out of that's it. That's what I would do. That, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what I would. Look, you just figure it out. Yeah. It's well, like, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's <laughs> like making love to a lady. You just, you know, you cut her open. There, there, are, there are numerous moments when we do this where I'm like, this is it. This is the last one, folks. I can't go on. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just shouldn't have said it in an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. It's maybe the delivery. That <laughs> um, I forgot what we're fucking talking about. Anyway, so yeah. so we, so Emil Hirsch goes back to the city to get laid every weekend. During the week, they're out on the road. Pa- uh, Paul Rudd decides not to go back um, because he's working on himself. Uh, one weekend, uh, the the first weekend that Emil Hirsch goes back, he strikes out. His, the, the car that they're driving breaks down. He's got to fix a fix a flat. He's all greasy. He doesn't even get into town until late Friday, so the, that night's ruined. He doesn't. He tries to hook up with his best friend's girlfriend on Saturday, but she has a change of heart, and then he runs into his best friend and he gets beaten up by his best <laughs> friend. So that's, it was all basically a bust of a weekend. Um, but during that weekend, he brings back a letter from his sister to Paul Rudd, where she breaks up with Paul Rudd. Essentially, she's seeing a half Native American chiropractor, uh, and which is you know, and. Um, you know, throughout the throughout the movie, we're also meeting this other road worker who comes and gives them booze occasionally. Um, there is a woman character that kind of bounces in and out of them, whether she's real or not. Another non-actor. Right. And 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 really the best scene of this movie is when um Paul Rudd stumbles upon her in the into the into the forest and she's rummaging through her things, the remains of her, the remains burnt she, she burned down house, and she's looking for her pilot's license and other things, and and then Paul Rudd like very sweetly starts to interact with her about that house still being there and him coming home, and it's a really what that is of all of what he's done in this movie, that's the best moment in the film, and it's the best like Paul Rudd of the movie. Paul Rudd plays out of character; he's not likable in this. He's buffoonish and shitty in a kind of Danny McBride kind of way. This would have worked better as a Danny McBride character than a Paul Rudd character. Because he's not even, he's not funny either, though. I mean, right, the, right, right. the buffoonery and stuff yeah. is, is, is so, like, played straight. And yeah. so it doesn't quite work. Because, yeah, you get the sense that if McBride played that part, he'd understand, or at least that his, he'd understand that his character <laughs> is, is a buffoon and doesn't understand it, which makes for complexity, but... Right. So have you seen, and I'm assuming the answer is no, but have you seen either way? No. Okay. No, the the Icelandic film that this right. was adapted from. Have you? Yes. Of course you have. And <laughs> how do we feel about a filmmaker who traces another movie and then gets everything about wrong. the first movie wrong? I hate it. So... So the 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 yeah we're, we don't like it right audience <laughs> it's like making love to so, a lady you don't know what to do eh? 
Episode 25 is the last one. So I'm kidding. The the movie, uh, so Prince Avalanche, it, you know, when he, he stumbles upon the woman and then she comes back into play a couple of more times where she gets out of a truck. Um, she gets out of a truck that the other the other road worker, the older road worker um, uh, comes and meets them. He gets she gets out of a truck and kind of just disappears into the forest. And at the end of the movie, she gets back into the car. So. The original film is about 10 minutes shorter and it cuts out um, it cuts out the chase sequence where he's chasing him with the with the wrench. It cuts out a lot of the the frivolity after they decide not to do their jobs very well. The which boozy is, montage. Right. The boozy montage. So the boozy montage in the original in either way is just them running off through the hills and he's in a wheelbarrow. One, The young one's in a wheelbarrow mm-hmm. and the other one's just drunk and they're just playing around. They're kind of half naked. The symbolism of the woman one the woman is much younger she gets in the truck or she gets out of the truck and then she gets into the truck she never talks to them um it is a metaphor for the women not them never being able to connect with women in their lives and this since he connected with her in the first place it's all lost it doesn't make any fucking sense and so and so he tries to repaint it as uh because the lines if she if there is a woman in your truck will you treat her well that's not in the original and and so it he completely misses the point and like you make it an older woman that they that they clearly wouldn't have desired the whole reason that they're looking at her is because she's 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 out of place and she's yeah and she's young and beautiful and so it's (laughs) and and like there's a whole lot of emotional beats that he misses so um obviously neither one of the characters are as buffoonish look um the emile hirsch character comes off more as a jesse from breaking bad in the original He's he's younger. He you do see him dance, but he's dancing to like, you know, he's kind of like, um, you know, he's break dancing kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and and but there's a sequence in, um, you know, when they're talking to one another uh, about the breakup in the original, um, you know, we we find out that Emil Hirsch during one of his trips back to uh, back to this big city is that he's impregnated one of the women that he's been with in the past. In in Prince Avalanche, it's an older woman. In the either way, it's not. It's just another woman that has had difficulty getting pregnant. So he know mm. they know that. So it, it, there's a different level of uh, whether keeping it or not. And but but the maturity level is pretty much the same as far as the two partners go. And it's revealed that part of the reason that that the Paul Rudd character was having such a hard time with his with his current girlfriend is because she didn't want another child. And so that so that's the whole thing about why Paul Rudd was encouraging Emil Hurst to be a dad is to take on that next. So like you miss, you don't you just, have any of that. Where you have nothing. Yeah. You pull all of those emotional threads out. You add this extra scene which you think is cool, and which again, admittedly, is the best part of your movie. But then it completely but it doesn't do under, any work. Right. It undercuts yeah. every. It undercuts the metaphor for the men, you know, and and their and their difficulties with women that you that you put into this film. Just like I, if I was the Icelandic director of either way watching Prince Avalanche, I would hope that the truck that they pulled up and gave him was full of <laughs> a full whole of a lot, lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise you're just watching this and like you, you could have just promoted my yeah. film. It was two years ago. It, yeah. it wasn't like you could have had it for, I mean, a million dollars and, and then like, you know, just and then it just showed that. Like it, I don't. And like, it's so like, to me, you know, <clears throat> Joe being what it is and, and like watching Prince Avalanche and watching him do like 
the opening title sequence where they're hitting the where they're hitting the pole and the and the letters start coming across stolen directly from either way. They it does the exact same really? thing. Yeah. It's like so like in the dialogue like <clears throat> where he, you know, where David Gordon Green kind of I guess looks at, you know, as one of his strengths of like just being able to like improvise and word for word. Like for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm, he pulls out parts, but like it is all the same beats. It's a chiropractor that she goes off with. She's half Austrian, half, you know, uh, Italian. Right. But that that's why that's why it's like making so, love to but a lady. Even the, even the little man squeeze, <laughs> making love to a lady. Yeah. Even the little even the little man squeeze the. Uh, that's in, that's in the Icelandic version as well. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to be going to sleep tonight. Oh, and wow, you're going to be wow. right, right before you go to sleep. You're going to get the little man to sleep. <laughs> you're going to pop straight up. Like fucking Christ. <laughs> God, Wiseman. <laughs> if you've never seen it, I guess it's fine. I know it's just got, I mean, like, but I don't think. But I don't think it's fine anyway. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I will say either way, I really, really liked. Because again, it has all those emotional beats to it. And it's shorter. And you see where the pieces fit. Like, but. Because I, this one you don't. I mean, Right, you don't. So, yeah, it's and I, all. I mean, and I think, I think both. I, the acting I don't get either in yeah. this film. I mean, I'm not sure what they're trying well, to do. And, and going back to Joe, like, why have Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch in this? Right. Like, if you want to, if you want to make this movie, I mean, I get. Okay, you want to, you want a bankable name at this point in your career, but I mean, there are better actors who can pull this off that you don't have to pay as much. And I mean, like, give somebody a shot in this case. I don't understand. Yeah. Paul Rudd's not looking at this as like forty-year-old virgin too. That's just going to skyrocket. I mean, that's going to skyrocket him to, to popularity. Like, and it's, this, and it's not going to get him necessarily awards, awards. Right. right? Right. It's not going to be recognized. I mean, so outside of a thirteen-day shoot in Texas that allows you to do whatever, yeah, you could have made this with anybody, mm-hmm. and then then maybe it's something. Maybe you discover someone. Maybe you you find a you find a performance out of this. But like. Yeah, I just feel like they're both trying too hard to do something that doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and it feels like David Gordon Green is as well. I mean, from this, he goes right into Manglehorn and Our Name Is Crisis, which I have not seen those movies. Um, <laughs> why are you looking like that? Do I thought, we have to watch them? No, no, we do not. <laughs> this look, listener, dear listener, this is putting David Gordon Green to bed. I think so. Yeah. Um, we've already talked about the Halloween trilogy. Yeah. Look, I'll be willing to talk about. The, you know, the exorcist and it's, it's, I, I'm all for, and I, I do think, I do find it very intriguing when a, a celebrity or, um, you know, someone in the industry finds a niche for themselves and it seems like they're embedded completely in, in the horror genre now. Although I think I've read at some point and I was reading throughout, like he's always had a lot of things in the works. And of course, I mean, I, I know how things circle around you and, you get you you know things pop up and things pop back down. Um, mm-hmm. I heard about a Smokey and the Bandit remake that he was supposedly attached to, but again, I what I don't understand really is this incessant need to go back to IP that already exists um, and that's already been done way better than what you will be able to do it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be Friedkin. You're not going to be able to be Carpenter. You can come close. But I mean, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to bring? Like, so, I mean, like the, 
the 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 Bates Motel. The, God, why am I talking like a fucking? <laughs> I'm watching too many of these movies. The Bates Motel and um, like these TV series that are prequel anthology, not anthology, but, the, but these prequel series to to horror movies. Um, there was a Nurse Ratchet one. Was, was wasn't there something else? There was. I know that there was Hannibal, but that was. But there was a Bates Motel, and there was. I thought there was something else that was another like. A prequel to a to an IP that did pretty well, but I just I don't see what you're going to be able to do. I mean, The Exorcist has five movies now, two over in the exact same, um, and one done by our our good dear friend Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what you're going to bring to the table, and I, I I understand why studios want to go back to the well because everyone knows who The Exorcist is, but. Like, it just seems like, okay, well, I'm going to dabble in all this shit that's already been done by better people. I'm going to go in and I'm going to do a Hellraiser series. I'm going to go in and do, I've already told my Halloween story, and now I'm going to break into Exorcist and 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 mediocrity this shit out of that thing, too. I mean, like, it's just, it's this, 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 like, he is the Sisyphean, like, yeah. <laughs> director. I'm just going to keep pushing the same up boulder. The and occasionally he hits highs, but every single time he does that, it's got to start back it's like, over. Yeah, it, it goes, it rolls right back down. You hit a high of Pineapple Express, you come right back. You hit a high of George Washington, and you just go, you, you struggle throughout the, out of the gate, even though you're well-received. You hit a high with Halloween, and then just, then 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 you have everybody in the, you know, in the free, free world who loved Mike Myers angry at you because you put him under the city and... And uh, and and yeah. even even if your even if your story does get um, you know reclaimed later on, you're not coming back to it, right? Sure. I mean, and so now you're going on to the Exorcist. I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but I, I I can't be excited about any of those properties. What's the artistic reward in it? I, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I, no, I don't think there is one. I think it's money, right? At this okay. point, it's just. I mean, at this point, you're just a working director. I can't imagine like when you got Halloween. It was a, oh, we were going to do we're going to jettison all of the. It's going to be. Halloween and then this movie, right? It's going to be this, and and we're going to forget all the fuck, all the sequels, forget mm-hmm. all that bullshit that was out there before. We're going to do it right, and then okay. So, are you going to do the same thing with The Exorcist? Are you going to come back and recast Reagan and tell a different story? Or are you going to right. Pazuzu and do something else along those? I, I don't know what the fuck you're going to do. And I get it. I mean, look, this is just because I don't have the you know I'm, I don't have that story in my head, but I just don't. I, like you said, I don't know. Like if you had an original story to tell, an extension of something that that was already done is—I mean, I don't know—it's it's it's not interesting. And it's the same thing with Prince Avalanche, and then like taking something that's already done right. and just being like, "Well, let's just make it in English, right?" And, and that's in all Texas. you did, and that's and but that ha- and that happens here sure, all the time. Sure, sure. I mean, that's we we love doing that, right? We love to take <laughs> films that were good foreign movies and then basically just do the same thing in English. Yeah, I just, I mean, but as someone who fancies themselves a prestige director. Who's, and an auteur. Who's, yeah, and, uh, who's buddies with Malik and, and um, you know, this comedic think tank that we've got going on at the moment, you know, as far as like the who's who in comedy being, you know, and I'm actually, I mean, like who's, who's producing all of your films, essentially. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't. Yeah, I, what's interesting about that? What's interesting about taking an Icelandic film from two years ago and basically Gus Van Santing psychoating it? I mean, like you just—I right. mean, it, you know, it wasn't shot for shot, but you get the idea. <laughs> no. Like, if you're taking the exact same script and doing nothing with it, like, what's what's you're what's just doing? Point? You're doing a like, table read. I mean, like, it's right. Yeah, again, again, like, what's the reward there? What I mean, what? Yeah. Why? 
why, why? What's the artistic merit? What's the, what are you gaining from that? How are you growing from that? As so, I think we've learned a good lesson here, <laughs> which it's okay to not to like everything. It's also okay to watch stuff we don't like. And I yes, and maybe yes. It's, it's okay to have a series of, of a director that we're really. I mean, honestly, just kind of like I, I think I don't know. This is it, it, weirdly eye opening for me in the sense that, all right, I would have if you had asked me before we started this. Did I like David Gordon Green? I would have said yes. And I would have been bullshitting because I hadn't seen enough mm-hmm. stuff to actually say I like David Gordon Green. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which, you know, pull back the curtain, I guess. There's a little bit of that, too. But, but yeah. Um, Again, this has been an episode of indignation and self-discovery. <laughs> And that's enough for my self loathing for today. <laughs> There's the ten percent. It's done. My timer's it's going done. off, so I'll let myself but I, out. But I do think. I mean, I, I, I mean, in in all seriousness, and to kind of continue on with your with your point, this has been an interesting sort of exercise of looking at someone who I think we both thought we were going to enjoy these films more than we actually did, and it's disappointing that we didn't. But again, it it is. It was a critical exercise of looking at why we didn't like them, and I think. And I know that sometimes we get kind of like rough and we, you know, just talk shit about some of these films. But I do think it's important to understand why we don't like things. Yeah. Right. As much as it is why we do like things. So and and look, I sat down and watched your movie. I gave you the time. I can say what I want. (laughs) Right. You know who else was really disappointed? Roger Ebert. By the time he watched Sitter, he was he was not pleased. Uh, it's like I can't believe this is the same David Gordon Green. There you go. See, <laughs> see, when she lost Raj, yeah, it's all downhill. It was from kind there. of over. It was over. Okay. Yeah. Well, then he passed away. He never got to see Joe at Prince Avalanche. So. You know what? I but the site, the writers on those on the on the RogerDeber.com gave those films I think three and a half stars. Did they? Yeah. So what okay. are you gonna Want to do a recommended if you like? Sure, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, all right, great. Um, so let's start. You want to start with Past Lives? Uh, I didn't do one for Past Lives, but I did one for the stoner comedies and then Joe and Oh, Prince you Adelaide. did? Yeah. The fuck? But, can I just say, but, that, but can that. I just say, wait, before, okay, so I think that everyone who likes films like Pineapple Express or The Sitter or Your Highness or Superbad should just go watch Hollywood Nights. You don't like Superbad either. So I am not, I, look, I'm not a big Apatovian. That's the, that's the nomenclature I'm using. I'm not a big Apatow fan. I'm not a big, you know, Apatovian genre fan. I'm not really a big comedy movie fan. It's weird as, as like funny as I fancy myself. <laughs> um, I don't enjoy a lot of, a lot of comedy movies. It hurts you to be funny inside. <laughs> It does. It, it does. It does. Um, I'm funniest when I'm also the saddest. <laughs> Anybody listening is like, you're not that fucking funny. Um, but I, so, I mean, I like, I like, I think a certain kind of comedy. I like a more subtle comedy. I mean, I think this is why like Heartbreak Kid and A New Leaf and, and films like that really kind of hit me because I mean, that's what I like. It, it's sure. wry. It's subtle. It's smart. Um, I mean, I do like airplane mel brooks type you know comedies but i watched those mostly when i was a kid and and you know we'll return to those and quote airplane ad nauseum to people but but a lot of the super bad knocked up i just i don't i don't enjoy i That's don't you know so 
give me sad movies. Give me past lives. Give me after sun. Give me something in French with people wondering why they fucking <laughs> exist on the planet. And I'm right there. I find humor in that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who? What is your recommended if you like for past lives? Okay, so I have one: The Children on the Nose, which would be in the mood for love. Okay, um, yeah. the Wong Kar Wai film. Also, I think Jules and Jim, yeah. the the Truffaut film, yeah. um, is yeah, also yeah. an interesting kind of um, pairing with that. So, those would be the two. Nice. Yeah. So, give me the stoner comedy recommended if you like. <laughs> that you'll never watch. Yeah, but no, but it's not about me. It's about like no, I, I don't expect you to watch all the recommended. The movies. listener out there, right, right, right. So the stoner comedy that I would recommend that, that kind of got swept under the rug was in 2015 called American Ultra. Oh sure, sure. Case um, Two, our girl Case Two, Case Two, Case Two, and S. Eisenberg at the height of their um, their chemistry together. Uh, like I'd love to see them as a real couple. I, I'm not that it, not, I mean I know that she's not playing for that team anymore, but then I don't know how it all works out. I don't know how all the mechanisms are. And I don't want to insult anybody, but let's just assume the choices are being made and it's fine. At one point, there was a thing. And anyway, it's no big deal. Anyway, they both play these um, stoner kids who live together and uh, it's getting a little head squeezed. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so there's they're stoners, but then um, but they're also these um, CIA assassins that get triggered, but kind of very much uh, Manchurian uh, candidate. They get triggered by these code words, and then they're these amazing, um, it's, you know, these amazing fighters and, 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 and uh, assassins. And uh, it's a stupid, dumb stoner comedy with a lot of action and bloodshed. And it, I don't know. I thought it was a lot of fun. It, it was a, it's not great. <laughs> it's not a great movie, but neither one of, neither were any of these. So, I mean, if, I would rather right. watch Pineapple Express than go watch American Ultra rather than watch Your Highness and be dumbfounded by why you're watching that movie. <laughs> I like that. Also, so you're, you're cool with movies that are comedies that are 70s and beyond. Like 79 is basically your, your maybe 80 get yeah, the airplane so. and backwards. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think of the comedies that I, I'm trying to think of the comedies I watched as a kid. Like, I mean, even through like the 80s and 90s and I, nothing is sticking. No so, Fletch? No, no like, I like, okay. I mean, I like Fletch, right? But again, I mean, that falls into that. I mean, that is a, and I like Ghostbusters. Right, but like, like, say, like, what about like Vacation or like the uh, first one? Okay, yeah. yeah Christmas yeah. doesn't hit you like that. Not really. Yeah, no, I'm just kind of like, okay. I like, I mean, like of like seminal comedy films. I'm trying to think of the ones. Like, yeah, I mean, Ghostbusters is pretty huge. Um, if we talk about, like, I'm assuming Three Amigos probably is not really like. I the, like Three Amigos. Okay, <laughs> I was a big, so I was a big Chevy Chase fan for a long time. Um, his his. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. I mean, but but like that stuff is funny to me, right? So, but, I mean, but Ghostbusters, again, a movie like Ghostbusters, a movie like Three Amigos, right? Oh, it's a male plane, right? How do you know? Can you see its little balls? I mean, that's silly, but it's also like you have to pay attention. It's not just kind of like, to, to go back to Kevin Smith, it's not just like dick and fart jokes. Sure, right? sure. And I think that's what a lot of these films kind of boil down to on on some level. Where the sort of intelligence and subtlety isn't isn't there all the time. I would say what Apatow brings to the table, and I'm not going to try to argue for no, all of this. I mean, but like, but like, there's a there's a there's a sincerity to that level of comedy that that probably wasn't there in the '80s. So there's a, there's a little bit of the of a comedic softening of the drama that's in the film, yeah. and then touching on it's really more you know these are obviously Apatow taps into the 
um, male relate, you know, the kind of unspokenness of the male relationships and, and, and not always to great success, but I mean, but I don't know. I will, I will defend those films, but yeah, oh, I mean, it, but it's it, fine. It's fine. <clears throat> well, I, <laughs> well, I, I, I like do it. think, I mean, this is the thing that I enjoyed about Pineapple Express was the kind of platonic relationship or that kind of looking for connection, right. From, from these places of, of, of transaction, right. And how that sort of developed. And I thought that, and then again, same thing with like Prince Avalanche, or what he was trying to do there. So I think in Pineapple Express, that that works better actually than it does in Prince Avalanche. So I oh, mean, for sure. I get that, and I and I see that, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't. How many weed jokes can I sort of? <laughs> right, and if that's not your humor, I get that too. Right, right? and so right. that's. Exactly. I mean, look, look. It's like I like Chief and Chong, <laughs> right? But I, I'm also kind of like. Cool, that's enough. It's I like, don't know. Like, what about Friday? How does Friday sit with you? Okay, Friday I like, right? <laughs> but again, like Friday, that's such a different dynamic too. I mean, I'd argue it is, it's pretty. I mean, like it's not as action packed as it is just a sitting on the porch kind of day. It's a sociocultural dynamic. Sure, right? sure, sure. So what we see though is the dynamic in the neighborhood from um, <laughs> Big Perm, I mean Big Worm, <laughs> right. right? With with Chris and Cube. And who these people are and how they are all different within the same kind of system, the same kind of ecosystem, right? And how um, Debo is sort of the, you know, the big neighborhood bad. I mean, so I think there's more going on there than a, a comedy of errors leading to a chase and like, you know, murder mystery type thing. I'm with so, you. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I do, I do think that where the areas that Pineapple Express works the best is the, the times when like, uh, Rogan and and Franco are out in the field like they're play fighting with one another and they're and like he offers them up his jacket because he's hot blooded and he plays with the blood. And there's one moment in Pineapple Express. I love the moment in Pineapple Express where he calls Amber Heard and is like crying because he wants to get back with her. And then, and she's, then she gets, she says, "I love you, Dale. We should get married." He's like, "Oh, oh I recognize. Like, I made a huge mistake." <laughs> it's like. There's something really wrong with me if you take me back. I know. What's wrong with you? You take, you take me back. I, I'm totally wrong for you. There's that. I mean, there, yeah, th there are moments. I mean, again, I don't understand. I think Pineapple Express goes a little too long for its its own good. And again, yeah. it, it kind of it it does kind of tend to ramp up the the <laughs> the action just in, for sake of ramping up the action. But yeah, I would have loved to see. I would have loved to have seen more come of him wanting to be on the radio. Yeah, that would have been cool. Right, to see something actually sort of like happen with that. I don't, what is the obsession with having a man in his mid-20s date a high school student? I don't really know about that. I don't get that either. Because she could have been. Yeah, it doesn't. Is it, is it playing for laughs? I mean, because I don't think it's that, it's just kind yeah. of creepy. And but he doesn't to, need to be creepy. Right, right. And it doesn't, I mean, it gets you the fuck Jeff Goldblum, but it, she could have been in college. She could have been <laughs> in a community college or something. It wouldn't have been like. She could have been in a community th theater troupe. I think it's, I mean, I mean yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It doesn't. I mean, aside from Arrested Development and. But and I, but I he, do, I mean, I do we, like we the, get the idea of Arrested Development anyway. Right. I, mean, I do like the Ed Bagley Nora Dunn. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's... <laughs> what are you, you fucking high right now? Get the fuck out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so look, if you like Joe, uh, you might like You Were Never Really There, Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, More kind of like vigilante kind of violence, but help, you know, protecting someone young and vulnerable. From abuses. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good movie. And kind of one that gets slept on a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say Pig. 
If you like yeah. Adam Joe, I mean, like that—that's the movie you really want to see is Pig. Yep. Um, it does everything that Joe does, but doesn't make. It, but it gives you a, a, a hero you're willing to root for. Really, I guess at that point. I mean, not that that's necessary in every movie, but I mean, in this case, which is so dank and so dark, you're yeah. just like. Ugh. But no, it, it does. It, it it gives us a look at another world that we're not used to, that we don't really know exists. Right? I mean, there is a kind of underground world that that film shows us, and then with you know following along with a person who is more likable than the joe character right both played by nick cage so right yeah picks a good one all right prince avalanche if you like that maybe check out drinking buddies okay and the joe swanberg yeah anyway olivia wilde being your best friend (laughs) (laughs) right as far as realistic things that because that would be easy (laughs) (laughs) just ask jason sudeikis (laughs) <laughs> uh, and mine Good is one. mine's going to be an off the wall choice, but if you like Prince Avalanche, I would say watch either way. It's this Icelandic <laughs> film from 2011, <laughs> strikingly similar to Prince Avalanche, but but better. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. But uh, <laughs> it's the same but better. <laughs> it's a I little like bit that. Of better. Uh, oh my god! Um, <laughs> In fact, fuck this. Episode 26 and on. I'm Italian accent <laughs> all the way. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the next 25 episodes. Screamers. <laughs> um. What are we talking about next time? So at the Fort Worth Film Club, uh, most recently, just actually yesterday, we filmed um, Funeral Parade of Roses uh, with a group in DFW called Impact DFW, as well as the Asian Film Festival of Dallas. Um, had a great turnout, a great discussion afterwards. I'd like to dig da- back deeper into that one, but I also want to get into Demon. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the other ones, but we can talk about the those those movies as well. And then from there, we're going to head first into our series on John Cassavetes, and I'm excited about that. That'll be a nice little like intro into out- outro of a summer, intro into fall series that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, so we're going to look at Matsumoto's narrative films, and then we're going to jump into Cassavetes. Um, I'm very excited. Um, Jason, anything else? I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And to keep a screaming. It's like making love to a lady. You don't know what to do. Eh? Get the little man to squeeze. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting widesofwilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>